0: So much that we do as Christian mothers and fathers is thought by the world to be foolish. The world thinks it foolish to give up personal goals, opportunities for advancement, and even promising careers to change diapers and wipe noses. The world thinks it foolish to give up luxuries And even downsize to be able to live on one income. The world thinks it foolish to teach kids to depend on family, friends, and God, rather than be self-sufficient and independent. The world thinks it foolish to love someone who hates you. The world thinks it foolish To die for someone who wants to kill you. Indeed, much we do and believe is thought by the world to be foolish, but that doesn't surprise us. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the foolishness of the cross, the foolishness of preaching, and the foolishness of God. This morning, we want to look at a little foolishness, and we begin with the foolishness of the cross. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, I'm sure the world thinks it foolish to wear a cross around your neck, especially if it's understood what a cross was. It was an instrument of death, a means to execute a criminal. You know, wearing a cross around your neck makes as much sense as wearing an electric chair, if you do not understand its significance. But even if you do understand its significance, adoration of the cross can turn into foolishness. Just a month ago, a little less than a month ago, there was an article in the State Journal Register about a fragment of the cross that can be seen on the grounds of the Franciscan Life Center just east of Springfield. The article told how that particular relic of the true cross made its way to the St. Francis of Assisi Church in 1945 and of its history back to the 19th century. What it doesn't tell is how it first came to be. According to an internet search, Helena, the mother of Constantine, discovered the true cross in 326 A.D while in Jerusalem, trying to locate holy sites and holy relics after her son had made Christianity legal in the Roman Empire. By threat of torture and death, she managed to find out where the cross was hidden, under a pagan temple. But when it was uncovered, there were three crosses, and a test had to be devised to determine which was the true. Cross. Now, some historians claim the bishop of Jerusalem suggested that a sick woman be placed on each, and that the true cross would be identified by healing her. Others claim Helena ordered the body of a dead man exhumed, and when it touched the third cross, it came to life. Well, However it was determined, she was convinced she had found the cross of Christ. And part of it was taken to Constantine, who had it enclosed in a statue of himself. The rest of the cross was kept in the church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem until 614, when the Persians captured Jerusalem and took it to Persia. It was regained in 627 by the Roman Emperor uh, Heraclius, and remained in Christian hands until 1187 when the Muslim leader Saladin captured it and dragged it to the streets of Jerusalem behind his horse. Richard I, the Lionheart, tried to reclaim the cross during the Third Crusade but could only find fragments of it, and that's all we have today. Now, John Calvin, the Protestant reformer, expressed his skepticism about the fragment of the true cross when he said if all the pieces were brought together, there'd be enough wood to build a ship. (laughs) But in 1870, a Frenchman refuted that when he documented all of the relics of the cross, including those that had been known to exist but were lost, and concluded if all the fragments were put together, it would equal no more than a third of a cross. Well, in spite of that, few really believe the splinters to be of the actual cross on which Christ died. And in 1960, Pope John XXIII actually pulled the plug on a feast that had been held on May 3rd for centuries to celebrate the discovery of the true cross by St. Helena. Still, wars have been fought and men killed for a piece of wood. And even though I did have to go see it when I first learned of it, most everyone would agree that veneration of a splinter is foolishness of the cross. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He said the word of the cross, the story that accompanies the real cross of Christ is to those who are perishing foolishness. And I'm sure that it is. Surely the story of the cross seems as foolishness to the unsaved, even more foolish than making relics out of toothpicks. And what is the word of the cross? It's that the God who created us sought to redeem us by becoming a man, living a sinless life, and then dying in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. That must indeed seem foolish to the world. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Indeed, the word of the cross has the power to change lives to change homes, to change cultures, and to change the world itself. And it's been doing so for 2,000 years. And as Paul made clear in the preceding passage, he was committed to presenting that word without embellishment or an overpowering presentation. He wanted the power of the cross and the message it conveys to be the agent of change. Not the speaker. Nor an emotionally charged atmosphere. He wanted lives to be changed by the simple preaching of the gospel. Something else the world thinks. Foolish. Let's read on. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of You know, we think we're so smart. We've accomplished so much. We've gone from the horse and buggy to supersonic travel to the information superhighway in less than a hundred years. We've traded suspicion for science. But still, mankind has failed to answer the most basic questions of all. The questions that give meaning to life. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Our wise men, our philosophers, have pondered those questions for centuries and come up with nothing but unsatisfactory answers. Our scribes, our educators fill our minds with facts, but still life doesn't make sense. Our debaters, our politicians, Constantly trying to create a utopia, but end up just building more prisons. Why have we failed? Because God let us fail. He wanted us to discover the limits of our wisdom apart from Him. He wouldn't even let us discover Him, because He knew if we discovered God, we'd take the credit for it. God would have been our discovery, something else to bolster our I-can-do-it-myself mentality, our egotistical pride that makes us want to be self-sufficient. Instead, He revealed Himself to us. And then He didn't do As we expected. The Jews were expecting great signs and miracles. Demonstrations of power that would bring the world to its knees. But God didn't do it that way. The Greeks, the intellectual elite, figured the true God, if he really existed, would speak with irrefutable words of wisdom that would confound the greatest thinkers. But God didn't do it that way. Instead, he entered into our world as a nobody, worked as a common laborer among us until he was 30, became a penniless itinerant preacher for three years teaching truths even children could understand, and then willingly, intentionally allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and lifted up in shame for the whole world to see so we could be saved. That doesn't make any sense to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to the unbeliever and to expect anyone to believe it just because someone says it seems absurd. Why would anyone believe a preacher without miraculous power and great wisdom? Indeed, preaching is Foolishness, until the message being preached takes root in a heart that has been prepared by God. Then it's revealed to be the power of God and the wisdom of God. Even though the world thinks it the foolishness of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, men, like nations, think it wise to demonstrate their strength. We have some men in our church who like to show us what they've got. And I'm convinced football players like to wear shoulder pads for more than protection. They want to look huge in the hopes of intimidating the opposition. And basketball players want everyone to believe they're taller than they really are. You know, in fact, I I discovered I was much taller than I thought when a friend who was shorter than me was listed as six five in the team stats at college. <laughs> You know, if everyone thinks we're stronger than we are or better than we are, we probably won't have to prove it. That's why nations rattle sabers and show off their artillery. That's why I've never been in a fistfight. I'm big. I've only been physically challenged once in high school and I talked my way out of that one. <laughs> But you know, God seldom struts His stuff. He doesn't have to. He doesn't beat us into submission. He wins us by loving us. By demonstrating His love in a way that overwhelms us by dying for us. That is the foolishness of God. It's His sacrificial love. And the world is right, you know, sometimes sacrificial love is foolish. There are those who will take advantage of it, who will abuse it, who are so self-centered that they think they deserve it. You know, we've all seen ungrateful children break the heart of a mother who gave everything she had to give. And some might think it foolish for a mother to give up her dreams and ambitions for the sake of a child that may never appreciate it. But a wise mother who has been changed herself by the sacrificial love of God knows the foolishness of God is wiser than men. It gives her the answers. She needs to make sense of life and motherhood. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. It freed her from the bondage of her sin and enables her to love and care for sinful children. She therefore commits herself to sharing the wisdom and the love of God with her children, and she does so sacrificially. Nothing is more important to a Christian mother than communicating through word and deed the love of God. The world may think it foolish, but it's not. It's not. And if you want to know the wisdom of God, kneel at the cross. And what many consider to be foolish will be revealed to you as the power of God. Power to be the person and the mother God intends for you to be.